everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. So glad you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jeffrey Kapersky. He's a philosopher and he does a lot of work in the laws of nature and the question of how does God interact in the world. Um, so Dr. Kapersky, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm good, Zach. Thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. We're going to be talking about just how does God interact in the world and looking at different views, such as like the interventionist view or like quantum indeterminacy, just all kinds of um, interesting things here. So to start off, could you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. So I'm, I'm a philosopher of science. Uh, I've been teaching here at, at Saginaw Valley State University in Michigan for about 25 years. I got my PhD from, from Ohio State University. And most of my early work was on something called chaos theory, which most of you have probably not, not heard of. It was a really hot topic, though, you know, back back in the day. Um, before that, I got a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering, not philosophy. In fact, I took a, exactly one course in philosophy as an undergraduate. I did not like it. Um, but eventually, I, I read a book by the, the philosopher, the Christian philosopher, J.P. Moreland. Um, and, and his first um, book was called Scaling the Secular City. Um, after having read that, then I, I kind of gave it another chance. And so I came back to, to philosophy in graduate, graduate school, and I've been here uh, ever since. So these days, um, almost all of my work is somewhere in the intersection of, of science, philosophy, and, and religion. Um, and so I'm, I'm not an apologist, uh, but people who do apologetics often find uh, at least some of the, what I do uh, useful. Mm. Yeah, it's super interesting to think about these things. I do have to ask you a um, really hard question here. Are you an Ohio State football fan at all? Because you get your <laughs> as, PhD. As a matter of fact, yes, yes, I am. So, um, so I, yeah, I, I grew up in, in Ohio, um, and then I ended up going to, to Ohio State. One, one of my sons is in graduate school at Ohio State. So, yes, um, we, we are, in fact, um, Buckeye fans. Uh, for, for, uh, I don't know if that disappoints you and, and members of your audience, but 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 yes, I am. We might have to just end the recording now because I'm from State <laughs> College. So I'm a Penn State fan my whole life. I just grew up okay. in that town. So well, I you guys always Michigan, just ruin our you know, So, you know, it's not I'm, not, I'm not popular on that front you know, here either, but that's okay. You know, we can all get along. Well, God bless you. And I pray for your safety um, as you continue. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about like what got you interested in the question of how does God interact in the world? Um, so you talk a little bit about your interest there. Sure. So years ago, I was in a, a two week seminar with a, with a gentleman named John Polkinghorne. And Polkinghorne was, was this very well known particle physicist back in the 60s. And he, he eventually left physics. Um, he became an Anglican priest and a, and a theologian. So he kind of had a foot in, in both worlds. Uh, and so during that time, we read a lot of things that John had written. We read stuff by, by other people. And a, a lot of people in this field, a lot of people writing in this area of, of divine action, how God actually does things in the world. Um, at the time, they thought that this thing that I mentioned before, chaos theory uh, and, and quantum mechanics, they thought maybe those could be the keys to understanding um, divine action, how how God works. But but even back then and can continue to today, I, I'm kind of skeptical about those approaches. Um, and part of it was I noticed early on that the people who were doing the writing, all the people we were, we were reading in the, that seminar, they either had a background in theology, they were, they were theologians, uh, or physics. So you sometimes had physicists that would weigh in on the question. But the but the, the questions they were asking were actually matters of philosophy. They weren't they weren't matters of theology proper. They weren't matters of science proper. They're, they're really philosophy of science and, and philosophy of religion. And from a philosopher's point of view, at least, uh, their, their answers were often uh, a little naive. Uh, they, they were missing some important distinctions and, and moves that, that you needed to make. Um, the second thing, and I, this is what, what bothered me more, 
was that if they were right, when you saw the, their, their models for exactly how, how God interacts with the world, if they were right, then, then really God wouldn't be able to do all that much. There just really wasn't much room in nature for, for God to do anything. Well, that bothered me a lot uh, because I have a, a fairly robust view about, about things like answered prayer and the like. And so I think there is something important at stake when it comes to this, this question of, of divine action. Uh, if we get if we get the answer wrong, uh, it's going to have a direct bearing on, on on our theology, especially about things like like answered prayer. So that's really what what drew me into it uh, originally. Mm, that's super interesting. So could you go over like some of the different ideas about how does God interact in the world and like how different philosophers and scientists and such might answer the question? Sure. So there's a whole spectrum of, of views here. So let me let me give you the kind of the two extremes. Let me give you the boundaries and then kind of fill in in the middle a little bit. So on one extreme, uh, historically, at least, are what we would call deists uh, with, with a D. And so the deists uh, thought that God created the universe, but then that's about it. Um, so they, mm -hmm. they think that God doesn't interact with humanity at, at all, uh, which for a deist, then that means like all the major religions, uh, they're, they're, they're all false. Uh, God's basically just a creator and, and that's it. So that's one extreme. You don't, you don't find that many deists out there today. Some, but, but not many. At the other end, at the other extreme, there are people who think that God is just continually stepping in and breaking the laws of nature just all the time, literally just, you know, second by second. Uh, you know, I've, I've met people that think that, that God is intervening on their behalf, again, literally all day long, sometimes in obvious ways and, and other times not. So mm -hmm. in between them, you've got kind of, again, variations. So there are some people that think that that God doesn't need to intervene in nature because he's kind of providentially worked everything out in advance. So, you know, God foresaw everything that would happen. And so he just kind of, you know, built his responses you know, into creation itself. So on that sort of view, God already decided at creation how he, he would answer your prayers and how it, he would respond. And that's just like built into creation itself. So on that sort of view, God doesn't, doesn't actually respond to your prayers in real time. He doesn't intervene uh, when answering those prayers. Things just unfold according to his will as, as time goes on. So again, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no real intervention there. Um, another option, again, somewhere in the, in the middle here, somewhere between the extremes, um, is that God does directly influence the world, uh, but he does so in, in particular ways. So there are a lot of folks out there, a lot of theologians, that would say God can do whatever he God does whatever he wants. And he doesn't violate the laws of nature. That's kind of a, a kind of a, kind of a constraint. And people who hold this view would say the reason for this is God ordained the laws of nature, and so having done so, he wouldn't come back later and, and break his own laws. Um, so again, that, that's another view. There, again, there's and there are more reasons for, for for why they think that. And then finally, there are those who would say there really aren't any limits. God doesn't worry about breaking the laws of nature. He can do that if he wants uh, and, and if he needs to. Um, and so again, there's there's this deism on one hand, kind of extreme interaction and, and breaking the laws of nature on the other, and then all sorts of things uh, in between. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. So one of the views is the interventionist view um, with regards to how God interacts with the world. Could you talk a little bit about like what that is and kind of your thoughts on like if it's a plausible idea or not? Sure. So interventionists believe that when God acts, uh, God does violate the laws of nature and the interventionists, they're, they're okay with that. Um, and I think this is probably 
this is probably what most conservative Christians believe. So they they look at the Bible and they see things like, you know, the parting of the Red Sea or, or, or Jesus turning turning water into wine. And they would say, well, of course, of course, God is breaking the laws of nature. I mean, that's that's what's going on. So I kind of think of, of intervention as the default view uh, for, for most Christians. Uh, but again, a lot, a lot of theologians don't like it. Uh, some think again, that, that God just wouldn't violate his own laws. Uh, some think that divine intervention conflicts with science. Uh, I think they're wrong about that. I think when they when people say that divine action and miracles conflicts with, with, with science, they, they're taking a, a naturalistic approach um, to science. Uh, so naturalism on this view just says that, that nature is all there is. There, there are, there's no God, there's no angels, there's, there's no souls. Uh, and so, yeah, if you, if you kind of take naturalism and, and put that into the very definition of science, um, yeah, then, you know, divine intervention conflicts with science because on a naturalistic view that there's no God. But again, I think naturalism isn't, isn't about science. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a alternative, um, philosophical view that's contrary to theism. So what I'm trying to say is there's no conflict between, between science uh, and, and, and God, including divine inter intervention, there's a conflict uh, between theism and, and naturalism, right? Because we think that God exists and, and the naturalist um, set, says not. Mm. So when we look at like these different views with regards to um, like how God interacts in the world and such, uh, what do you see as like the most plausible? Like if you were going to say, this is where I lean towards, or, this is where I'd accept, um, where do you kind of go with this question, Dr. Kapersky? Well, like I said, the, the, I think the interventionist view is, is the default view. Um, but when I look at the arguments from, from non-interventionists, the ones, especially the ones, this is, this is, I think, maybe most writers out there today, uh, most theologians writing, um, they do want to, they do have a problem with God breaking his own laws. They think that God just, just wouldn't do that, that, you know, the laws of nature come from the divine will. God ordained the laws of nature. And so it, given those are the rules that God himself set up and he could have set up whatever rules he wants. God's going to work within those rules. And so for those folks, um, I, I have tried to come up with, with, with a model um, of divine action that kind of kind of fits within that um, those constraints. So I do have mm. a way uh, that I've tried to explore in the book where God can actually do a lot. So I, I think there's a lot of freedom for God to act, uh, even though God doesn't doesn't violate the laws of nature. So so technically, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those non non interventionists. I think when God acts, at least most of the time, he doesn't violate his own laws. Uh, now, if it turns out my my model on that, if, if my book's been out for you know, a little over a year and as, as scholars interact with that and, and criticize it, if it turns out that, that my suggestion just doesn't work, <laughs> if it turns mm -hmm. out there are flaws, I, my drop back position is, is interventionism. So I don't really have mm -hmm. a, a deep problem with the interventionist view. This is the one that says, you know, God breaks the laws of nature. I just mm -hmm. think that there, yeah, if we understand the laws of nature, uh, we understand uh, you know, how, how they work and, and what God has done with them, then yeah, God can actually do a lot with, without mm. violating his own laws, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And leaning towards a non-interventionist view is interesting because I think for a lot of people, they're like, wait, what? That seems kind of like what's going on here. Um, but I think to help, like maybe talk about like what are the laws of nature? Um, and it can kind of like help maybe like under people understand your view more. So what are the laws of nature? Sure. Well, that's a big question. Mm -hmm. um, there, are, there are three main answers, so let me, let me try to run run through those um, kind of quickly. Um, and so, some are better than others, but you know, mm -hmm. these are the ones that are out there in the in the literature. So the first view is what's called a, a Humean interpretation of laws, and that's named after the philosopher David David Hume. 
Uh, so let me give you a very simple version of it. So just think of some of the basic things that we learn uh, from science. Um, just I mean, literally, you know, elementary school level science. Water freezes when the temperature gets below 32 degrees and, and air flows from high pressure areas to low pressure areas and salt dissolves in water. So there's, there's lots of regularities like this in nature that, that we observe. So for a human, a law of nature just is our description uh, of those regularities. So, so a law of nature is something that you could write down. Just, just what I said, right? Salt dissolves in water. I can write that down, that little, you know, that, that sentence, and that then is, is a law of nature. So for a human, laws of nature, again, things you could put on paper and, and then that's it. There's nothing out there in reality that makes things happen, that makes, say, you know, salt dissolve or makes water freeze. So on a, for a humium, this is going to sound kind of weird, I think, but um, salt doesn't have to dissolve in water. It, it just does. It just, it just mm -hmm. happens to dissolve in water. So Hume himself said that any feeling that you have or that I have, that there's a, there's a necessity here that, right, when you put the salt in, it's, it's got to dissolve, right? It has to. Hume said that's, that's just a psychological projection uh, on our part. So really all there is, is the one event, right? There's the salt entering the water, it dissolves, but, but any sort of sense that, that one thing causes another, that the, the dissolving like has to happen, any feeling of necessity, he said, that's, that's, really, uh, that's really us. That's a, that's a projection, that's a psychological projection on our part, and there really is no such thing as, as necessity or causation out there in reality. So um, that's obviously, I think, the, the leanest of the three views I'm going to give you metaphysically, right? All that exists are just, just events, things, uh, and, and events out there in nature. Um, so again, I don't think it's a very attractive view, but it's uh, among philosophers, among, among professional philosophers, um, most, of whom are, 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 most of whom are not Christians. Uh, that's, I think, the most popular view, the, the human view. Uh, a second one, second approach, uh, it's something more like uh, what the ancients had in mind, someone like, like Aristotle. So it's really not so much an interpretation of the laws of nature. Really, if you understand it, it it's a rejection uh, of the laws of nature. So on this view, every entity has, has a thing in it, and we'll call this thing a, a disposition or maybe the causal powers of the thing to, to act in a certain way. So on this sort of view, when electrons, electrons repel each other, the reason they do it is because they have an internal disposition to, to repel each other. And that salt, again, has a disposition to, to melt in water. So on this view, every regularity that you see out there in nature is due to the, these underlying dispositions or causal powers, not the laws of nature. Um, the notion of law you know, wasn't, wasn't actually uh, invented or discovered, depending on how you think of it, uh, until the until the early modern period, until what we think of as the, the scientific revolution. So the third view, and this is this is where where my view is, this is where I am, um, is it, probably more. I think again, what what most of your listeners have in mind um, under under what would be called a, a realist view or a nomological realist view, if you want the fancy word. Um, there really are laws of nature, and they are part of reality itself. The laws of nature are governing the, the way things go. So on this sort of view, what you see in the textbooks, like, like Newton's laws, um, those are descriptions, if they're true, they're descriptions of the, how the laws work out there in reality. So what's in the textbooks, it, it might be right, 
might, might not be, uh, but the laws of nature, they're just, they're just part of reality. They're just out there. And so on, on this view, what science is attempting to do is to, is to discover those laws, right? When science is working, it's, it's getting at, uh, you know, what these laws actually are. And I think, again, that's, I think that's how most people uh, think of the laws um, before they, you know, start looking into it any further. And as I said, my own view is in, is somewhere in this last category. So I'm a, I'm a nomological realist of, of some type or other. Uh, I believe there is something that keeps nature on track. And I believe it's the, it's the laws of nature that, that do that rather than say dispositions or causal powers or, or something like that. Mm. So one of the questions I think that'd be here that we could get to here is like, how could these laws be understood as like maybe like God's will for the for the world? You say like God creates like this set of laws that govern our universe. Would this kind of be like discerning God's will then? Um, so like, what are your thoughts with this question? Yeah, I think I think actually that's right. So this is one particular stance you could take within that larger group of what I call nomological realism. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, yeah, then let me, let me back up just a little bit. I think when we talk about science and the laws of nature today, uh, we tend to do it in, in completely naturalistic terms, completely secular terms. So uh, if we have a scientific explanation for something in terms of the laws of nature, we often think, oh, well, we don't need God anymore, right? God's, God's irrelevant to the conversation. Um, uh, the, the two are kind of like competing explanations. We can explain something in terms of God's will or we can explain something in terms of, 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 of science. And I think if you look at the, the history of science, um, that's that's just a. This is actually the way we think of it. The way I just described it is just completely foreign to the way people would have described it during the scientific revolution. Um, so let me give, even actually go back a little bit before the scientific revolution. If you, you go to the Middle Ages, people thought about these things in, in Aristotelian terms, the way Aristotle thought. So for Aristotle, um, we you know. People knew fire Fire always rises and rocks always fall, not because of the laws of nature, because they, they didn't believe in laws of nature. Okay? What Aristotle thought was that in some sense, um, fire and rocks and everything else, it, it behaves. Um, uh, it, the, the reason it behaves the way that it does is because these are the way, this is the way things want to behave. So it sounds weird, but, but Aristotle yeah. would have said in some sense, rocks actually want to get to the center of the earth. They have a kind of desire, low grade desire, not, not knowledge, not intention, not consciousness, but still a kind of, a kind of desire. Fire wants to get back to the celestial realm. So that is what explains the regularities in nature. So in the early modern period, in the, in the, in the um, 17th century, People like uh, Rene Descartes, uh, Isaac Newton, um, obviously that, that's a name that everybody knows, and Robert Boyle, uh, you, you may remember Boyle's Law from, from, from chemistry. Um, mm -hmm. They explained the, the regularities in nature, um, not in terms of Aristotelian essences, not in terms of dispositions, but in terms of law. This is where the language of law originates. Um, and for them, if you ask, well, well, where do these where do these laws in nature come from? They all would have given you the same answer that they, they come from a divine law giver. So all, all these all these guys were theists, uh, and they said, yeah, laws the laws of nature are kind of like the laws you see um, in, in government. You have a king who's king of England. King makes the laws uh, for for England. Same sort of dynamic, except now you've got a, a king at a higher level, right? You've got you've got the theistic king. You've got you've got God, and God states what the laws are for nature. And so, for for most of them, for most of the, the earliest views on this, the laws, yeah, they were just God's decrees for for how things would go. So it's not that. God created something 
a, a law of nature and like the laws then govern the world on God's behalf. It's more that God just says, you know, this is the way things are going to at creation itself. God says, this is how it's going to go. And then, and then nature responds. It's really not that different from what, what you see in Genesis, right? So God says, let there be light and, and there's light, right? It just, it happens. Mm -hmm. uh, same idea when it comes from the laws of nature. Ultimately for, for someone like myself, a, a decretalist, about the laws of nature, the, the laws of nature just are God's decrees at creation for for how nature would would go. Mm. So I'm curious here. One of the worries maybe um, someone may say, well, this sounds kind of like deism, where you have like God creating the world and the laws of nature, um, and He it's kind of like His will almost, and the, the forces play as they be, and it's His will, um, and He doesn't really intervene in a direct way after that, where it like breaks these laws or anything like that. So how would you respond to like that kind of worry that maybe this is like almost like deism, um, your idea here? Yeah, so um, it's only half the story. What I've given you is half mm. the story about like where mm. the where the laws come from. So, mm. so let's talk about let's yeah let's talk about divine intervention now or divine action. What what does yeah. God do after creation? So at creation, on my view, again, God God sets up the laws of nature, uh, and they they are they are responsible for these regularities. Now, what what comes after that, including things like miracles, right? If you want to know what a miracle is, uh, that's of course going to depend on on the uh, the definition of a miracle. So that that philosopher I mentioned before, David Hume. He, he defined a miracle as, as the breaking of, of a law of nature. Um, but again, as I keep saying, the, that notion of laws, that's a, that's a modern idea. So like no one in the Bible would have described a miracle as the breaking of a law of nature because that idea just wasn't gonna be around again uh, yet for, for hundreds of years. Um, so, so on my own view, when God acts, at least most of the time, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't break the laws of nature. And that's because the, the laws themselves, they don't break. The laws adapt to changes that that God makes or that we make. This is this is part of uh, being created in the image of God and, and having free will. We can do stuff. Right? We can make mm -hmm. changes out there in reality, and and reality correspond or, or, or reacts to that that change. So so let me give you an analogy. So say say you go to a stream. Um, there are laws of fluid dynamics that that govern how that, that stream behaves. We even know what, what the equations are that, that describe the, the sorts of interactions. We can, we can write those down. All right, so you know, say now you take a big rock and you drop it in that stream. So now you've changed the flow of water in the stream. Did you just break the laws of nature? Well, well, no, because the laws of fluid dynamics, they don't, they don't break, they never break. What they do is adapt to the changes you've made, they're going to they're going to have they're going to behave differently in the stream now, and that's fine, right? That the laws can adapt to those sorts of changes. So we make changes in the world all the time. We never break any laws of nature, and that's because again, the laws adapt to whatever changes we make. So I think that God does do things a lot. God answers prayer in real time. God makes changes in the physical uh, in the physical world, um, but He's made a world part of the type of world God has made with the laws of nature is that it allows God to interact with nature. And the laws, just like us in the stream, the laws adapt accordingly. So he, that's why he doesn't have to break laws of nature when he's interacting with physical reality. Um, God's got free will, just like we do, really. We, we, we have free will like, like God does, right? Created in his image. So when beings with free will 
whether that's us, whether that's that, that's an angel, whether that's uh, whether that's God, when they act in the physical world, the physical world adapts to whatever changes they make. So yes, I think I believe in, a, in, in an interactive God. I'm not I'm not at all a deist. Okay, I just mm -hmm. think that when God acts, he doesn't he doesn't have to break the laws of nature. So most of the things then that we we think of as as miracles, um, you know, most maybe not all, but many many of the things uh, is is God acting. Yes, but then nature ad adapting to those changes. No, no breaking of the laws of nature. And just mm -hmm. so your listeners know, I'm not completely <laughs> alone in this view. Um, there's a famous uh, Christian philosopher, uh, uh, Alvin Plantinga, uh, contemporary philosophers argued something like this. And I'm sure your listeners have heard of C.S. Lewis. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis has a nice little book called, called On Miracles. Uh, and you can find very, something very close to what I described you know, in, in that book. Um, so yeah, my, my, my view is not completely unique. I'm actually building on a sort of tradition uh, that goes back uh, even before Lewis. I have found hmm. descriptions of this uh, back in back in the at least the 1800s. It probably goes back further, but uh, yeah, at least at least that far. Hmm. That's really interesting. So um, looking at like there's a question in the live chat and there's something that I kind of had for you, the question of maybe like healings that we'd see is like almost like supernatural. Um, so you talk about like maybe like you lay hands on a blind person and the blind person can see um, yeah. or like cancer's gone or like he like he supernatural healings that believe in along these lines. Um, you think these fit with like the non-interventionist kind of view where yeah. um, it's just God kind of causing something to happen and then like the, the laws of nature just kind of adapt to God's um, action here in terms of like this, he like a supernatural healing. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually do. So it, it is supernatural insofar as there's a supernatural being at work, right? So God mm. is at work in this. That's what makes it supernatural. But I would say that when God, when God say, you know, heals someone of cancer, what he's doing is simply, you know, re removing, he's removing cancerous cells, right? He's, he's ta taking those out of existence and, and nature adapts, right? When, when, when those things get, get moved from one place to another or taken out of existence, nature's fine with that. It's just, again, it's like you dropping the rock uh, you know, into the stream, or I guess in this case, picking a big rock up out of the stream, right? The laws of fluid dynamics will, will adapt to that change and that's all, all fine. So, so yes, I, I believe, I believe in divine healing, What makes it supernatural again is that there's a, there's a supernatural being who, who's at work. It's a, it's the supernatural mm -hmm. being, it's God's will that actually, that, that you know, it, this, this act traces back to, um, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't need to involve a, a breaking of the laws of nature. That's interesting. Um, so one more question I have for you here with regards to this interview is like, why would God complete, um, create a world with like this set of laws compared to a different set of laws? It's obviously like a very speculative question. And I know you're perfect. So you have the perfect answer for this, <laughs> um, Dr. Kaversky. But like, what do you think about like, why would God create a world that where we have like these kind of laws? Um, maybe whereas compared to like something different? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, and I, I don't have a better answer than those guys I was talking about before. You go back to Isaac Newton, you go back to Robert Boyle, um, and what they would have said to this, this exact same question is that, well, God God had a lot of options when it came to the laws of nature. Uh, so it's not, it's not like, say, the, the, the laws of logic. Maybe maybe when it comes to the you know, basic fundamental logic, there's not a whole lot of different ways God could have put it together. Maybe there's only one way God could have put, put logic together. But when it comes to the laws of nature, no, there are lots of ways God could, could have put it together. Uh, lots of, of, of sets of laws that God could have chosen. And then again, God 
God was free uh, to choose whichever one he wanted. So there was nothing, say, that that compelled God to choose, you know, one set of laws rather than another. He just had, you know, a number of options. Who knows how many? Maybe an infinite number of options. And, and he just he just just chose. He said, well, it's got to be some way. I'm going to do it this way. And so the problem with that is if that's if that's how the laws of nature originated. It's ultimately just uh, what, what we call divine fiat. It's just the choice. Then and then, if God doesn't tell us what, what choices He's made, and He hasn't, right? We don't we don't have direct revelation. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible say about you know, what the what the laws are. Um, then we have uh, what philosophers would call an epistemic problem, right? How are how are we going to know it? Because if God's not telling, um, and so um, the good good part, okay, the, the 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 upside of the story is that God's given us the ability to go and discover them, but we have to do the work, right? It's not, it's not in revelation, meaning it's not, it's not laws of nature, are not in the Bible. He hasn't directly, you know, put it into our, into our minds. Um, but he has given us the ability to go out, do the work and, and, and discover them. So the point here is that we can't, we can't just sit in a room, no matter how smart the people are that we're, we're dealing with. You can't put a bunch of scientists and philosophers in a room and using reason alone, just figure out what the laws of nature are. Right. Like, I mean, you, if I asked you, you know, what, what are the what are the traffic laws, say, in Sweden? So, right. So, you know, you're smart. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly smart. Let's just figure it out. Right. What, what would they be? Well, you can't. Right. By way of reason alone, you can't figure it out because there's there's different choices. Right. The Swedes could have made and some are, are, are as good as others. You would have to go and see for yourself. Right? You'd have to go and discover them. Reason only gets you so far. And, and so that's the idea when it comes to the, the laws of nature. So. What we have to do then um, is, is do experiments, right? We've got to do experiments. We've got to make observations. And so when you see this big push for, for experimentation and observation uh, during the scientific revolution, that big push had, had a theological motivation to it, right? So like I said, the God, God chose the laws. He, he's not telling us what they are, but he's given us the ability to go out, go out and find them. So I, I think and this is an important point. This notion of empiricism, uh, that that's this key, you know, bedrock uh, idea in in science, um, that that isn't a secular idea. Okay, that's that's not something that came from 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 uh, naturalism. That that's um, that's actually a, a theistic idea. And all these mm -hmm. ideas about the laws of nature and everything I've just been talking about, they they originate from within a, a theistic um, worldview. So, and, and I should say, as a as a matter of the history of science. None of that is controversial. It's just that we don't, we just generally don't, don't teach that part. When we when we teach about the history of science or the history of science, we kind of just, you know, either just leave God completely out of it or or rush by you know, real quickly any of the theistic aspects of it. But if you if you read the original sources, if you read the people again that I've been talking about, um, you know, all throughout their writings, God shows up. There's all sorts of theological motivations for for their science. Um, it's not like they had. It's not like the way we think of it today, where you've got your science books, right? And you've got your, your theology books over here. They're on different bookshelves, right? They don't, for them, it, it's all it's all in there, right? Because it's all part of reality. There's there's physical reality with the laws of nature. God's responsible for those laws. It was a very holistic, you know, a, a set of principles. Uh, and, and really, I think, pretty, pretty fascinating. Mm, it is really 
One question uh, for the live chat that I think is kind of interesting and fitting with what we were talking about. Um, so it says Truth TV is, is talking about the, like, the problem of divine hiddenness. How you respond and answer um, to someone who says God is so hidden. So I'm curious, like, does your view um, with regards to like how does God interact in the world, um, does it make any impact on like how you look at like the question of like divine hiddenness? Because I think it's an interesting um, possible correlation here. Um, so I'm curious if it has any impact. Huh. You know, I, 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 I think about divine hiddenness. Um, I haven't actually mm -hmm. connected the two. Um, okay. I mean, well, I mean, let me let me think about it just for a second. I, I do think I do believe in an interactive God. So um, it it I respond to divine, divine hiddenness in part in that if there there are such things as answers to prayer, right, and we could track these things, um, then I think that does push back a little bit on, on hiddenness. So you know, if it's not it's not proof. If someone this happens all the time, right? I think there are divine healings, um, and it is God at work. So, what is what does medical science say about that? Well, what what is on the charts? Right? It's not going to say divine intervention, right? It's not it's not going to say mm -hmm. that. Uh, what they're going to say is that well, something happened, but there there really is no medical explanation, you know, for for, for what we see here, um, because you know the, the the medical explanation, at least the way we think of, of modern medicine uh, today, uh, yeah, you're just you're not allowed to bring bring God into it. So that means certain explanations are going to run out. But if we're not restricted, right, to simple naturalistic explanations, we're trying to figure out what's the best explanation for what we see. Then I think, yeah, if you bring in, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, list of, of, of I think, um, and there's lots of there's lots of answers to prayer where you kind of feel like well it could go either way right did did, did God really you know help me get that job or not there's there, there's no proof there are other ones that you know due to the timing and the like it's like wow it really it really seems like something happened here right mm -hmm. um, uh, I had I had a student uh, this is very early in my teaching career um, who who you could see he had like headgear on trying to protect his his his, his head and he came and told me um, after class one day after this is in a philosophy religion class that he, he had a brain tumor uh, and he was, he had been preparing to, for, for surgery. Um, already had some, some minor things done, but like the, the big major surgery was, was about to happen. Uh, and and he, he was not a Christian, uh, not, not a theist, but you know, he was willing to do anything that you know, could possibly work. And some, some Christians at a church he knew had offered to pray for him. So like the week before he was supposed to go in for surgery, uh, you know, had this prayer service for him. And, and you know, he didn't, he was like, he didn't feel anything. No, no, nothing miraculous happened, as far as you could tell. Then he had, you know, one more, one more brain scan. Uh, you know, the, the day before the surgery, and the tumor's gone. Okay, mm -hmm. now, no medical explanation, right? It just, you know, that just happens sometimes, you know. Uh, but the timing is awfully odd, right? It's really, it's, yeah. it's really pretty amazing, right? And so, yeah, I think, I think there is some justifications. That, to the idea that, yeah, this was actually an answer to prayer. There's something divine and supernatural at work in this. Is there proof? You know, can I actually get at the, the, the finger of God? And no, well, no, no. It's really more a matter of, um, you know, our, get, bringing about uh, our best explanation for all the information that we have. It's not that different. I do this in class all the time. It's not that different really from, from basic science. Uh, I take it, you know, you, Zach, and your listeners, they all believe in electrons. Mm-hmm. You've never seen one. You're not going to see one. Okay, uh, you, they're not like they're in a jar in the chem lab over there buzzing around. Electrons are are intrinsically unobservable. All those fundamental particles that you hear about, like like quarks and leptons and the like, they're they're unobservable. Okay, we can't we can't see them. 
Why do we believe in them? Well, because they're part of theories that we have that work really well. I mean, if you look at chemistry, you look at electro electromagnetism, uh, electrons show up in those theories and, and they do work, right? I mean, it seems like they, they really are doing something. So they're part then of our best overall explanation for the things that we do observe in nature. I think the same thing is true of God and your question of hiddenness. I think we can push back some on the notion of, of divine hiddenness, the worry of hiddenness, in terms of answered prayer. I think for some things we see in the world, the best explanation for those events is that, yeah, these were these are supernatural events where, where God has, has answered a prayer or done something in the world. Uh, is, is it proof? Is it is it a direct observation? Can we see the, the finger of God at work? No, no, can't, can't see that. But we, I do think you can come up with um, uh, theistic explanations for things that are the best explanations for those things. And yeah, God, God appears in those explanations. Does that solve the problem of divine hiddenness? Do we, do we wish or, or maybe would have expected that there'd be, there'd be more, right? That God would be more obvious. Um, and uh, you know, I, I wish as a theist, I kind of wish yeah. God were, were more obvious. And God has apparently decided, yeah, not to be quite that obvious uh, about how he goes about things. But is there is there evidence for, for a God? Are there reasons to believe in God? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just a matter of faith where, where faith is something like, you know, just, just deciding to believe. I don't hold that view of faith. Okay, it's not the way. It's not the reason I believe in God, and so at least to that degree, I would say yes. My my views do do have something to say about the notion of divine hiddenness. Uh, is it an answer? Uh, no, it's kind of kind of a bleak. You know, kind of kind of hits it along the edges. Mm, that's really interesting. Um, so to wrap things up here, I have one more question for you. Um, Justin Fields, how, how does he end up in his NFL career? <laughs> Justin Fields. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, he's the Ohio State quarterback <laughs> that just left for the NFL and was a first-round pick. So I had to, I had to throw that in there. Yeah, um, that's fine. <laughs> I uh, um, I am not terribly bullish on, on, on Fields uh, in the NFL. Um, uh, I... So yeah, good. I think he's going to be one of those one of those college quarterbacks that that will you know end up being uh, you know pr pretty aver average at best uh, in the NFL. Um, I actually thought their, their their previous quarterback Haskins, Dwayne Haskins, mm -hmm. I thought he was the better he was the bit the better uh, NFL uh, um, you know ready quarterback, and 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 it didn't work out for him. Right, he was a first round pick like Fields, and he didn't make it. So so I don't know. Maybe there's things. I mean. I, I'm just the guy who watches these games on TV. Okay, but yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't place. Yeah, I wouldn't be really too hopeful on, on Justin Fields. I hope, I mean, I hope he does. But you know, mm -hmm. if it's me, I, I don't think I, I don't think I would have drafted him quite that early. <laughs> well, for an Ohio State fan, you're not very optimistic on your I'm guy, just, Justin. I'm just, he, he doesn't play for us anymore. Okay, I'm, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> just telling you. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. But um, Dr. Kapersky, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so much fun. So much, so many interesting things to think about. Um, do you have any like last thoughts, things you want to say um, before we wrap things up here? No, I think that's about it. Um, you know, I, I should say that the, the book that I put out uh, on this topic, uh, it's free. The, I had a grant through the John Templeton Foundation. And so if you, you look at my name on, on the uh, Rutledge, uh, Rutledge, the publisher, if you go to their website, you can actually download a, a PDF of the whole book uh, for free. If you have any listeners out there who are interested. Um, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Right. So ask me questions or send me email. If you have any listeners out there who have follow up questions uh, on I'm happy to, to interact with you. My my email address is just um, Kopersky, uh, K-O-P-E-R-S-K-I at uh, svsu.edu. I'd be happy to you know to entertain any questions you have.
Definitely. Well, Dr. Kapersky, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I encourage everyone to check out the book. There's also a link down below if you want to follow him on Twitter. I should put the name. What is the someone just asked, what is the name of the book for someone that's looking for it? Oh, what is the name of my book? <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> it's this. If you can see it, right? So divine action determinism and the laws of nature okay so there's the there's the hard copy but again the, the pdf is uh, is available for free well that's awesome and i encourage everyone to check out that book um i'll link it i'll check it out and link it down below as soon as we're done here um and if you're new to the channel i always encourage you to subscribe to here in apologetics um really appreciate your subscription whether it's gonna be a youtube or a podcast and if you enjoy the show can support us on patreon.com so should hear in apologetics we're about 85 percent of the way to our funding goal so if you want to join for as little as a dollar a month that would be appreciated but dr kapersky one last time thank you so much it's been a lot of fun thanks zach glad to be here and thank you everyone for tuning in um susan thank you jesus ethan everyone else have a good one god bless